Welcome to the Exec MBA Podcast. I'm your host, Brett Twitty, and you are listening to a new episode. On this episode of the podcast, I'm excited to share my recent conversation with my admissions colleagues, Catherine Alford and Ashley Robinson. This episode is all about application advice for applicants targeting our May 10, June 10, and June 25 Executive MBA deadlines. If you're planning to apply to the Executive MBA program here at the Darden School of Business in May or June, well, this episode is essential listening. Ashley and Catherine came on the podcast to share their tips, their insights, their words of wisdom for our Executive MBA applicants. And there's so much good content here. I think you're really going to find it helpful. So without further ado, here's my conversation with my admissions colleagues, Catherine Alford and Ashley Robinson. Catherine, Ashley, welcome to the podcast. Hello, hello. Happy to be here. I'm back. Thanks for having us back, Brett. You're right, Ashley Robinson. You've been on the podcast once. You've got some work to do, though, to catch up with Catherine Alford, our number one guest of all time. I don't know if I can catch up to Catherine. (laughs) You know, this is the virtue of Catherine's role where she is involved essentially in everything, which is so great. She works with full-time students. She works with executive MBA, part-time. She does MSBA. And oh, by the way, she's also the director of the Future Year Scholars Program. Touches all prospective student populations here at the Darden School of Business. That is awesome. Catherine, this is how you get on the podcast like eight or 10 times. I think this is what happens when you work at Darden for over 10 years. (laughs) So, Ashley Robinson, how are you doing? How are you feeling right now? I'm doing well. I'm doing well. Happy to be here. It's a nice sunny day outside. That's right. Spring has sprung here in the Washington, D.C. metro area. It's allergy season, as we were discussing before we jumped here (laughs) on the podcast. So we're overcoming some adversity here, recording the podcast, battling seasonal allergies. I think we can do it. Catherine Alford, how are you doing? Oh, I am ready, Brett. There is nothing I enjoy more than talking about executive MBA deadlines. Well, you're in the right place because this is a, this episode is all about application tips for candidates targeting our May and June deadlines. So we are approaching our final deadlines of the executive MBA cycle. This cycle is focused on the class that enrolls this August, our executive MBA class of 2024. We're recording this podcast in late April. You should notice the 26th of April here. Uh, we have three remaining deadlines as of, uh, as of today, May 10, June 10, and June 25. Okay, those are the deadlines that remain. And Catherine, one of the most common questions we get from prospective students when they look at our deadlines page on the website is, why so many deadlines? Great question. So we meet great candidates all throughout the year. And so we are trying to be as flexible as possible, providing them opportunities to apply when we meet them. And so we provide a lot of different options and that gives uh, our applicants a lot of flexibility. Ashley, one of the things that's true is these deadlines, essentially every month, there's an opportunity to apply, you know, obviously move into May, May 10. We've got two deadlines in June as we work to round out the class. Each deadline functions like a discrete round. What do you encourage applicants to consider as they as they think through uh, the deadline options that they have available to them? Yeah, so of course, we want you to focus on the deadline or submit your application when you feel you have the strongest application to put forth. 
to the committee. So really think about things that you need to gather. So take a look at the application itself, get your thoughts together, collect your materials before you just start entering answers to your questions. Um, and then really focus on what's going to take the longest time so you can really hone in on that deadline for you. Yeah, generally speaking, I think the slowest part of the application process for many applicants, Catherine, is the recommendation. And perhaps if you're planning to take a standardized test, and we're going to get into test options and test waivers, all these kinds of things and a little bit later in the conversation. So stay tuned if that's of interest to you. But those feel like the two slowest parts of the process. What do you encourage people to think about as they navigate, as Ashley notes, this kind of materials gathering, um, getting ready to apply? Yeah, you're right. The letters of recommendation are frequently what the part that holds the application up in the process. Usually recommenders need a few weeks to get their thoughts together and sit down to write your recommendation letter. So I always say, you know, as soon as you decide who your recommenders are, go ahead and type their email address in your application form, send it out to them so that they can begin working on their recommendation letter and then tell them that you're going to check in with them a few days before the application deadline just to see how things are coming along. And that way you won't feel like you're bothering them by checking in, but really just following up on what you said you were going to do. The other piece of the application that takes longer is for those who are planning to take a standardized test. So those tests do require preparation and studying. And so giving yourself as much time as you can to get ready for a standardized test if you're choosing that to go down that route is another thing to do in advance before you get close to hitting submit. A few other tips when it comes to recommenders. Provide your recommender with a copy of your, your resume when you ask. A little bit of conversation to kind of set the expectation why you're interested in Darden, the executive MBA program. Here's a copy of my resume just to remind the person of the kinds of projects and what you've accomplished as you've worked together. Ashley, what else do you encourage people to think about as they consider who might be a good recommender? Of course, we only require one recommendation in the executive MBA application process. Candidates can have up to two recommendations. Any other things that, that you share? Yeah, just think about the person who knows your, your work style the best. Um, we typically like to see the direct supervisor, but we know there are um, exceptions to that rule. Um, if you have recently switched jobs um, or the person that you used to report to has moved on to another position, um, we understand that. So just consider um, any explanation and the additional details um, if you don't you choose your direct supervisor, but definitely someone who knows you, who knows your work ethic, um, who can really speak to the volume of the type of student that you would be at Darden. Ashley, you're right. The additional comment section of the application is there to provide additional context about any part of your application that you think we would benefit from additional information. Recommender choice is a, is a good place to provide additional information. If you didn't choose, for example, your current supervisor, you want to help us understand the reason for the recommender you chose. Um, Catherine, anything else that you recommend that people think about when it comes to recommender choice? I always joke that you want to make sure that the person you asked to write your recommendation letter really likes you. And you want to be sure that they're going to be writing a positive letter of recommendation. Remember that you're telling a story with your application and you want to make sure you share the story that you are telling in your application with your recommender so that the points that they make in their recommendation letter are adding value and complementing the story that you're telling. 
Yeah, the thing that I always encourage applicants to keep in mind is, yes, you want to give your recommender a week or two uh, to work on their materials. The materials itself, I mean, it's completely electronic process. Once you input your recommender's contact information into your application, they should receive an email with a link to those materials. I don't think of the materials as particularly onerous. It's a ratings grid where the recommender will assess you across a number of dimensions and really three key questions. It's actually not a formal letter of recommendation. It's three key questions. How do you know the applicant? How does the applicant compare to his or her peers? And what's one piece of critical feedback uh, you've, you've shared with the applicant? I think that's one of the reasons, that third question is one of the reasons why we have a preference for supervisors. And as Ashley noted, current supervisors, um, the reason for the current supervisor, well, we want to know that you've started having conversations with important stakeholders at work around your interest in pursuing uh, the MBA, your interest in the Darden Executive MBA program. You'll have to miss days of work uh, to participate in the program. If you've looked at the structure and design of our program, you know that we have week-long leadership residencies that take place in Charlottesville. We have weekend residencies that are Friday, Saturday, Sunday, starting those conversations at work early and having them often. As you, as you navigate this process is, is always a good approach. Um, Catherine, I want to come back to something that you mentioned previously. You know, we meet strong candidates, interesting candidates all throughout the year. Uh, this is something that I think is sometimes surprising to executive MBA applicants who at this time of year are always wondering, am I too late? Am I too late? Is it too late to apply? Why do you think we meet interesting folks all throughout the year? So this program really comes alongside people in their careers and people are going to come to this conclusion that an MBA is the next step for them at all different points. Uh, it might be you reach a point where you feel like you've hit a plateau uh, and you're ready for something more. You might have been given a new responsibility and you don't feel like you have all of the tools you'd like to have in order to do your best job. You may feel like it's time for something new or, or a pivot and that those decisions take place January through December. And so that's why we're seeing applications later in the summer because things change all the time and people are in different places in their careers at all different points of the year. You're right. And the other thing that I always think about is just if you're considering different programs, Maybe unlike the full-time MBA process where there's a lot more alignment across program around application deadline um, and program start dates, these kinds of things, what you'll actually see if you look at executive MBA programs, seemingly no two programs do all of this the same way. There's different deadline timing. There's different start dates. Some programs start in the spring, some in January, some in August. We're an August start program. So I tend to think that that means that we're seeing people all throughout the year um, you know, who are beginning to do the research at, at different times. Ashley, how do you encourage people um, to kind of think about, is, is now the right time for me to take this step? Yeah, I understand that um, we always wait on that perfect time, and it may not seem that the perfect time um, actually exists. Um, so really think about what your goals are and where you want to see yourself moving forward. Um, why are you interested in an in, in MBA? Um, and how is that going to be beneficial to you? So it may not seem like the perfect time. And we always refer to, to that balance as a pendulum swing. Um, but really think about what your goals are. Is it career related? Um, like Catherine mentioned, have you hit a plateau? Have you received a new position where you may feel like you are missing some of the skill sets that an MBA would give you? Um, so really hone in on what your goals are and where you want to see yourself two years from now. 
Catherine, it does feel like candidates do wrestle not so much with the question of why. I think a lot of the people we talk to can see the value of an MBA for themselves in their career. It does feel like that win question, the timing question is the one that ultimately is a little bit trickier to answer. Any advice that you give people as they consider their timing? There's no perfect time to go ahead and move forward with getting your MBA, but it's important to think about the commitment that it will be. This is a big commitment. It's about 20 hours of time in your week that you'll be devoting to either classes or team meetings or preparation. And so you want to make sure that you're in a place in your life and in your career where you can squeeze the extra 20 hours in. Now, I will say that people do find that they have more time than they thought they had beginning in the program. You might have to let some of the things go like Netflix or some of the things that aren't as important in your life in order to do this program. And so making sure you sit down with your family members and your colleagues and your supervisor to make sure that they know that you have an extra 20 hours of time that you're going to be dedicating to this program and that that you might need a little bit of flexibility, but making sure that this is the time in your life when you're able to give that time to a, a program. You're right that when students get into the program, it is about this kind of relentless prioritization, trying to figure out what the most important thing is at any given time. Sometimes it'll be school and then sometimes it'll be work and then other times it will be life. The other thing that I always share with folks, I think when we talk with prospective students, I think many, many times it feels like they're almost searching for like, like to Ashley's point, this kind of perfect, everything has aligned. And, And when we work with our executive MBA students and see them progress through the program, I, I don't really think that there is such a time that is ideal, like this is exactly the moment. What you typically see uh, them doing is just figuring it out along the way. It is it is a little bit messy at times. Uh, it doesn't have this elegance, everything's buttoned up all the time. But through you know relying on your classmates, folks at work, folks at home, kind of asking for help in these ways, you find your way through each quarter to the next thing, the next thing, you pick up momentum as you go along. I think at some point, while it may not necessarily feel easy, it feels easier because you've kind of figured out how to make all this work. Um, And that takes a a little bit of time, but recognize that you're, you're not on your own as you do all this. Catherine, any additional thoughts along these lines? Yeah, I'd like to build on what you were just saying, but we're, we are preparing people to be leaders and managers in business. And there is never a perfect time to become the CEO of a business. And you're never going to feel like you have as much time as you'd like to give to any senior leadership position. And so in a lot of ways, this is a training ground for you before you get into these really big roles of learning how to balance your time, learning how to prioritize, learning what is important and what isn't important. So I would almost see this program as a way to get ready for that next step in your career. I love that point. I'm always reminded of a case that the students read in the leading organizations class. And it has to do with dropping your tools as you go to the next thing. And sort of as you continue to climb, letting go of things that are less important or someone else can help you with. And so that you can really focus on what's core, what's essential uh, to your new role, new, new responsibility. And, and it feels like so many of our students are on that journey professionally. They're on, on that journey personally as their lives become more complex, as they build families, they take on larger jobs, 
They have lots of life events that continue to happen while they're in the program. I think that's one of the things that's really cool. Uh, we have homeroom when the executive MBA students are in residency. And how often do we see that group get together and there's announcements of new additions to families or, you know, got a new job. We just bought a home. We're moving across the country. All of that will continue apace while you're in the program. So, Ashley, I want to I come to you next and kind of kick us off to the next chapter in this conversation. It feels like when we have prospect conversations with executive MBA candidates, many of them ask a question along the lines of, do I have to take the GMAT to apply? Uh, imagine that's a question you've gotten once or twice. Yes, it is definitely the most popular question. And the way I like to um, pose this, the answer or the response to that question is to really be strategic about your decision. Yes, you have two options. You can submit a test score or you can be considered for a waiver. If you are shooting towards being considered for a waiver, really think about what that test score does for the admissions committee. It, it gives us an understanding of where a person lies in terms of their academic readiness. So what would you present to the committee um, to show evidence of your academic readiness in lieu of that test score? But be strategic. Um, we do look at the application holistically. So really think about um, when you're submitting your application, be objective. I know that's hard, but really step outside of your, your yourself and really think about the application as a whole. Is there something that you wish you could change or do better or present better? Would a test score be helpful in trying to, to bolster some of the um, the the I don't want to say weaknesses, but some of the the shortcomings within the applications. I mean, we can't be experts at everything. Would a test score um, help with that? Or do you have enough evidence to show that you are academically ready for the rigor of the MBA program? Yeah, a couple of things worth keeping in mind. Uh, the curriculum here at Darden, you know, this academic readiness question, it has both quantitative and qualitative courses, so accounting, finance, et cetera, but also courses like, as mentioned, leading organizations, leadership communications, uh, things that are much more along that qualitative end of the spectrum. The other thing to kind of keep in mind is actually noted, as you come take the step back, you're thinking about buckets of, of evidence that you could cite around academic readiness. It could be degree-related, uh, coursework that you've done, non-degree related coursework. So things like Coursera, massive open online courses, professional development could also uh, be professional certifications. We see people with CPA, CFA, PMP, series licenses, the list goes on. And of course, work responsibilities, the nature of the work roles, responsibilities you've had, have they been quantitative? Have they been analytical in nature? And really kind of thinking about the case you could build uh, for a test waiver using, using that uh, information. On the standardized test front, we do accept a number of standardized tests, the executive assessment, GMAT, GRE, MCAT, LSAT. Catherine, uh, the EA has been for a couple cycles now, uh, far and away the most popular test for candidates who choose to take a test uh, and submit that test score as part of their application materials. Why do you think the EA is so popular with executive MBA candidates? The EA was designed with executive MBA candidates in mind. All of these applicants are busy professionals, and so the EA is much shorter in duration It's only than the GMAT. It's only a 90-minute exam, and the questions are less centered around your ability to memorize high school geometry, which we all know is a little bit more difficult the older we get, 
um, and more centered around your integrated reasoning skills. And I think for those reasons, it tends to be a more popular test with our executive MBA students. The other benefit is that the executive assessment is around 20 hours of preparation um, on average for, for many takers. could be probably 20 to 30, depends on uh, how much, much you want to study, but it is designed as a test of readiness. It was, as Catherine noted, designed with executive MBA applicants in mind. Initially, it's now accepted by a number of different types of programs beyond executive MBA programs. But I do think that 20-hour mark, it's a, it's a good opportunity for you to test drive fitting school into your schedule. It's an, also an opportunity for you to knock off some rust. Um, kind of, if it's been a while since you studied for something that was not directly work-related, kind of get back in school mode a little bit to check in with your desire, pursue an MBA. Um, but again, the choice is yours. As Ashley uh, noted, as we started out this conversation about standardized tests, there's really two pathways for executive MBA applicants. Stand, submit a standardized test score uh, with your materials or submit a test waiver request with your materials. If you go the waiver request route, uh, a couple couple additional sort of more housekeeping notes. Uh, the waiver request, you actually find it in the application itself in the test score section. It's simply a matter of selecting a checkbox. Check you say, yes, I would like to be evaluated for a test waiver request. And then you have a, an opportunity there, 500 words or, or, or less. Many, many of the submissions are less. and I don't think you need to write 500 words, um, but just a way for you to frame uh, the reasons for the request, the evidence that you feel uh, demonstrates your academic readiness. And then we'll evaluate the waiver request along with the full application and provide an update at the time of decision. All right, so we talked about tests, we talked about application timing. Uh, folks know hopefully by now that we have May and June deadlines uh, focused on the class that starts uh, this August. Let's get into a few more tips, uh, if that sounds okay. Uh, this is after all a, a podcast all about uh, preparing yourself for these these final rounds. Um, Catherine, can I come to you first? Uh, this is a, kind of a riff on a, on a question that I've gotten from some applicants recently. Um, and I thought it would be an interesting place to, for us to start here. Um, what's one thing that you wish more applicants knew or were, or were aware of as they approached the application process? I wish more applicants were aware of the unique qualities of Darden's executive MBA program in Roslyn. I wish people understood more about the case method of instruction and the benefits to that teaching style. And also, I wish they knew more about the really tight-knit and collaborative community at Darden. It is a program that is designed for students to get through together rather than individually. All right. I'm going to ask a follow-up question. Can you say more about, I mean, because sometimes when people think about an executive MBA program, they think they have to give up that kind of community. And they also, you know, I think sometimes the concern from many of the candidates we speak to is, is this going to be a super transactional environment where people are just coming into class and going home? You know, a lot of, a lot of executive MBA candidates focus on schedule and time and convenience. And so I think this is typically something that people are wrestling with as they're making this decision. Sure. So because we teach through the case method, students are given the cases in advance and they are asked to work with their learning teams and work with one another to prepare for class. So students spend a lot of time talking to each other outside of the classroom to get ready for their time when they are in class together. 
then when students do arrive in the classroom, rather than being lectured to, each student is speaking up and sharing their own perspective and their own ideas about what a decision maker should do in a particular situation based on their own life experiences. And that helps build a tighter community as different classmates understand the backgrounds of the people that are sitting next to them. The program team also does a phenomenal job at planning a number of social events. The students do a great job of planning a number of social events. And there is a robust club scene at Darden where students are getting actively involved in different industry clubs and different social clubs to help build a tighter community. When you're going through this type of a program that requires about 20 hours of time every week, there aren't many people who in your life who can really understand what you're doing except for the, your, the people who are in your class. And I think that really helps develop a close bond between uh, classmates. Yeah, there's something to the fact that everybody's chosen a path where they know they're going to be an active participant in their learning experience. I think that makes a, makes a world of difference. And it's probably one of the reasons we've ended up with seven official executive MBA clubs and organizations and all kinds of interest groups. Uh, we've had groups of students recently schedule outings to Nats Park, outings to the MGM Casino for an NCAA watch party. We also had Sunrise Yoga on that same weekend. So there's a lot happening in these weekend residencies. Uh, it is a full experience. All right, Ashley Robinson, what's one thing that you wish more applicants knew or were aware of? I wish that they knew that even though this is an executive program located in Roslyn, that that campus style of life that they may have gotten in undergrad still exists. Um, the students do a wonderful job of building that community, like Catherine really emphasized um, throughout the, the program, because it is a journey that they're going on together. These are friendships that they have built and bonded with each other that they will have long after Darden. Um, program concludes. So I really wish that the prospective students understood that even though it's executive, everybody's working, um, has commitments outside of just the classroom, that you still get that campus feel and that community that you're seeking. I love that point. And I think it's, I think it does a great job building on some of the information that Catherine shared that if you talk to the students, we actually had a call with some members of our executive MBA class of 2023 around this point. And they were like, it's totally like a campus. We all come and stay in the hotel together and we socialize and do all these kinds of things. We walk to class together. We walk back from class. Uh, it, it is, it's maybe not obvious, you know, when you kind of look at it and we talk to you about weekend residencies and lodging and meals and these kinds of things. But if you look at how students leverage their time together. It's incredible. In terms of uh, the things that are on my mind, I'm going to take this opportunity to do a little bit of myth busting. Um, one, people really kind of look at that word executive, executive MBA, and they wonder, do I need to be an executive? What if I'm not an executive? I'm not an executive. Can I still do this program? And the thing that I always want, wish students knew is that that's really just a way of us saying, hey, this is a schedule that you do uh, mostly uh, on the on the weekends while uh, while working. Um, our program is hybrid in nature, two-thirds uh, in person, one-third online. You have these weekend residencies that occur on average one weekend a month. And then you also typically will have online class a couple nights per week and a, and a few week-long experiences as well. Um, but 
that word executive seems to really kind of throw some people off and make them feel like, am I the right person for this program? And if you look at the work experience profile of our executive MBA students, you see students from around five years into their career to 25 plus years. Um, many of our students are kind of in that role, uh, in a role where they kind of come up as a specialist. They like to take on more scope and responsibilities, more of a generalist type type position. And that's really where the MBA comes in. So no, you do not have to be an executive to do this program. The other thing, and I know I asked for a tip, but the other thing that I'll share um, that's on, on my mind is um, I think this is a time of year where you know, people are one asking questions. Is it too late to apply? Do I need to take a standardized test? The third question that I think sometimes comes up on calls is, do I have the right background? I haven't taken accounting or finance. I don't have this quote unquote traditional business background. I work uh, in a job where I haven't necessarily had as much exposure to some of these areas that I'll see in the curriculum. Is that okay? Um, Catherine, I'm reminded of a comment that one of our 23s made on a recent town hall where she was convinced that she must be the only sort of non-traditional person in the in the in the class, only to then discover that everybody is seemingly non-traditional, and that what does traditional and non-traditional mean when everybody comes from different backgrounds, different industries, beyond just that sort of narrow set of things that people um, think about when they think about MBA programs. I think she was a teacher and came to school and realized that. Not everybody was the consultant or in finance in her class. I think most people think that they are the non-traditional student and they are quickly um, surprised when they learn that they are a lot like everybody else. Yeah, the thing that I always try to remind people is we're, we're trying to build for that classroom conversation that Catherine mentioned, right? It's case method. We want as much difference as possible in the room. It makes for a much richer conversation. Ashley, I know you get this question on your prospect calls. What do you share with people when they wonder, like, can I even do this? I haven't taken these classes. Do I have the right background? What do you share? Yes. And I believe in one of our um, webinars, there's a favorite slide of mine that actually shows the latest class profile and the different majors that are represented in the cohort, which um, is exactly what I share with them. You know, we I think just thinking about an MBA, we do have that that notion that you have to have a business background or you have to have um, this particular experience. But the thing is, um, you don't go through an MBA program to become an accountant. You don't go through the program to become um, just this in you know, particularly an investment banker, you go you go through the program because you have realized that you um, want to expand on your skills. Um, you may want to stay in your industry. You may want to pivot. You may want to embark on something new. But it, this is a, a general management program, and we want to prepare you for anything that may be um, your goal. So I absolutely love having these conversations um, about not having that background and how you can actually excel in the program. You're right to note that this is general management, that everybody will take a core curriculum. I think that's one of the things that appeals to folks who may not have had as much prior exposure to some of these areas is, you know, here at Darden, you're going to you're going to get that exposure. You start the executive MBA program uh, with the core, really that first year of the program and before moving into electives. Um, the slide you referenced, it, it is a good one. There's almost 50 undergraduate majors represented within our executive MBA class of 2023, which had 137 matriculants. There's roughly a third of the students have a prior 
advanced degree. The top two majors, if you combine engineering and poli-sci, that accounts for almost a quarter of the students, which all of those stats, I think, are really, really fascinating. And I think we had the same percentage of history majors as business administration and finance, which, again, I think it's just different than people people may think. Always trying to get that English major number up. I say that as a, as an English major myself, but uh, you know. You, you never know. So um, every, the other thing I think is also important for people to keep in mind, um, there's no one right candidate and there is also no perfect applicant. I think there's typically the case where people, as they work on their application, they're indexing to some mythical perfect candidate. And Catherine, I think that this can be problematic and kind of challenging because when people it kind of can cause people to start editing themselves and maybe taking their personality out of the application because they're, they're worried that they're somehow not the person that, that we're looking for. What do you share with candidates when they start worrying like, you know, about these kinds of different differences? I always encourage them by reminding them we're interested in each applicant's individual journey. And so we want to know where you come from and how your experiences from growing up have shaped the things that you care about and are interested in and have led you to where you are today. There is no typical MBA student in our program. I think the strongest applicants are the ones who are able to talk thoughtfully about the experiences they've had, what they've learned from them, and where they see themselves going forward as opposed to a candidate who has a resume that others think of as the traditional MBA resume. Such a good point. The more your story comes through, the more your voice comes through, the more you can kind of give depth to your motivations and the reasons, the whys of uh, of your story, the reasons you've taken the steps uh, that you've taken, the more different you become from other candidates. Uh, I think the extent to which you just kind of skim along the surface the more you may seem like, well, it's really kind of hard to get a feel for the person here. And it's always the person that we're most interested in. All right, Ashley Robinson, I'm going to come to you for this next question. So this is, uh, well, this is a podcast all about, you know, helping people prepare for our remaining deadlines, May 10, June 10, June 25. Any particular advice you would give to candidates who are targeting uh, these deadlines? Um. I think the advice that I would give is don't discount yourself. Um, don't sell yourself short. Um, I know it could seem impossible because we are moving into those later rounds, but um, you, ne- you, you don't get the opportunities that you never seek. So always put your best foot forward. Really think about what it is that you want to do. Connect with us. Um, I think you asked for one specific tip, but connect with us um, and get all the information to ensure that this is the best fit for you. You have a support team that will be with you um, throughout the entire journey. So just put your put yourself out there. You never know what's going to happen. You're right. There's conversations. There's chats. Uh, we also have a number of resources application process page, which really walks you through step by step the application process. We've got application tips, blog posts out there. We have a whole Spotify playlist all about the application process and walking through uh, each step of that of that process. And then, if you apply, you're admitted, you decide to matriculate at Darden. I want to give a quick shout out 
to the program team, all the people that help with the onboarding process. Uh, there are so many people here uh, who are going to make this process very easy, very smooth for students, um, and just an incredible group of people who support the executive MBA students here at, at the Darden School of Business. Um, Catherine, uh, a word of advice for candidates targeting our May and June deadlines. So I would say the most fretted over part of the application is frequently the essays. And I would say my advice is don't sweat the essays. We ask specific questions because we're interested in the answers to those questions. So make sure you do a great job answering the question. But much to Brett's chagrin, we don't have a lot of PhD English students in our program. And so we are not evaluating your writing skills the way a program would be evaluating your writing skills if you were applying to be a career writer. So focus mostly on answering the questions. Don't overthink them and don't spend too much time on them. I appreciate that point. You can think too much about the short answer questions. I think when people kind of get themselves in trouble is when they start to try to write the answer they think we want to read. Focus much more on what you want to communicate. Uh, to Catherine's earlier point, to Ashley's earlier point about narrative and understanding your story and kind of taking that time to get organized and think about what you really want to share. Um, this is where that kind of pre-work, this self-reflection can be really helpful because then as you approach the short answer questions, you are really focused on, okay, I've got this question. I have these broader application priorities. How can these questions help me reinforce that, that broader story that I'm trying to share? Um, so the other thing uh, that I always encourage people to think about as they approach our May and June deadline, kind of to start with where Catherine started us out um, about 30 minutes or so ago is we have these deadlines for a reason. Um, we always find great students, great applicants uh, at this time of year. Um, this is not a lockstep applicant pool. Uh, people come to the realization that an executive MBA program uh, taking this step in, in their life and career is the right decision for them at all different points. Uh, for some people, uh, you know, that's way back in the fall. And for other people, it's kind of the spring summer timeline. And if this is your timeline, that's great. Uh, we're, we're here to help you as you take this step. We've got a lot of resources, as previously noted. Uh, but know that there are plenty of people in our program who have been very, very successful and really thrived at Darden who applied in these exact same rounds. And we have created this deadline structure to accommodate uh, a diverse applicant pool with, with very different different timings and timelines um, who are coming into the, to the funnel, so to speak, at all, all different times during the year. Catherine, as we wrap up here, any, any last words, something that you would like for our listeners to think about? This is a big decision and it can take some time to make it. We have a lot of resources out there to help you learn more about the program and the school, and we have them all listed out on the website. So be sure to check it out and attend some classes, uh, take a tour, learn more about our program, and make sure that when you do pull the trigger, you're excited to, uh, as excited to be here as we are to have you here. Ashley Robinson, uh, a final word for our listeners. Be you and be prepared. As we mentioned, we do have a lot of resources out there, a lot of opportunity to connect with us. So the more time you spend with us, one, the more fun you'll have, but two, the more prepared you'll be when submitting your application. All good advice uh, from the two of you. I'll, I'll just share that we do still have space available in our class. We still have scholarship funding. I will say um, many times when we host 
application tip sessions or overview webinars, one of the things that we get asked by candidates who are targeting our, our May or June deadlines is, you know, are, is there still scholarship uh, funding available? And, and there is. Uh, we anticipate making scholarship awards in each of our remaining rounds. So May 10, June 10, June 25. Uh, a word of advice, if, if a scholarship award is going to be an important part of your decision, we have a finite amount of scholarship funding. So if you're considering May 10 or June 10 or June 25, try to apply as early as, as you can put together a, a strong application, an application you feel confident in. And certainly as we go through the remaining rounds, we'll have a bit less money to award, uh, but we do anticipate making scholarship awards in each of the remaining rounds. Ashley and Catherine, thank you again for coming on the podcast, for sharing all these tips and insights into our applicants. Good luck. As both Catherine and Ashley have noted, we have a lot of resources out there to help you along the way as you finalize your application materials. Ashley, Catherine, thank you so much for sharing all your tips and expertise with our listeners. Thank you for having us, Brett. I had a great time. Thanks for having us, Brett, and good luck to all of you out there. Reach out to us. We are excited to get to know you and learn more about you through the process. That was my conversation with my admissions colleagues, Catherine Alford and Ashley Robinson. As always, if you have any comments, suggestions, requests, anything you'd like for us to cover here on the podcast, we're all ears. We can be reached at exec, that's E-X-E-C, MBA at darden.virginia.edu. Until next time, stay safe, be well, and thanks for listening.